Father, we invite you to come and be with us, Lord, to touch our hearts and our minds with the things that you would have us to focus on, Lord. Uh, we thank you and give you praise for this day, for life, um, for the health we have, for our families. And God, we just want to tell you how much we love you and, um, and that we uh, want to be your servants today. Um, we give you praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, that's great. I, my name is Debbie Doty, and I um, work with Medical Teams International. We're a Christian relief and development organization based in Portland, Oregon. We've been around since 1979, <clears throat> and we were founded by a Christian businessman during the time of um, the uh, uh, uprising and chaos in Cambodia, and people were fleeing uh, out of there, and um, our founder just said, how can I sit here in the U.S. and see people like my daughter sitting on the couch next to me suffering? And so that was just, God just touched his heart, and that was the beginning of our organization. And so now we are a global organization. We have, work in three regions. Um, currently we have around 700 staff, international staff, around the world. Um, and we implement mainly uh, work in the health programs. Um, and so it, prior to my coming to Medical Teams International, um, I was, my husband and I served as missionaries with Christian Missionary Fellowship, and we were based in Kenya, and we worked among the Maasai people down in the rural areas there. So I kind of have this unique background of missions and, you know, uh, uh, relief and development organization and kind of putting those two together. And so it's really um, been a, a wonderful journey for me. I've been with MTI for 19 years and um, learned a lot in that time, and I'm still learning. So today I really want to share with you a little bit of, uh, of uh, kind of background and some ideas and just challenge our thinking about how um, faith-based organizations, how Christian hospitals and clinics and health systems, uh, what is the benefit and sometimes the risk of collaborating with the government, uh, but to really look seriously at that and then to say, well, what do we need to do? What are, what are the steps forward? So um, I hope you all have your, you know, uh, thinking caps on and just really um, feel free to, um, you know, think critically about what I'm presenting. As I said, I'm still learning about what God is doing in the world. Every day he um, is working and providing so many things that we, we can learn about. And so it's been, um, a, like I said, a wonderful journey for me to uh, be involved in that. I wanted to kind of start us out um, talking about uh, this, this theme of common ground, common good. And I think that's really where we have the opportunity to really establish what do we have in common with the government, what do we have in common with the country and the places that we will be serving, especially in health, and what, how can we join together for the common good, especially when we look at sometimes what um, may be some of those risks of working together with the government, but really what is God calling us to do and focus on that. Um, I'd like to read something. This is just a, a, an article. It's, from, it's called Guidelines for Engaging pa Faith-Based Organizations as Agents of Change, and this is for, from the UN um, uh, Population Fund. So you don't really think of the UN talking about engaging uh, you know, Christian or faith-based organizations, but yet here is a whole document about that. I'd like to just share a statement they made. Um, the case for working with faith-based organizations as one community among many critical agents of change is no longer a matter of discussion, but rather one of considered systemic and deliberate engagement of the like-minded partners among them. Moreover, there is clearly an important parallel faith-based universe of development uh, there is clearly an important parallel in the faith-based universe of development, one which provides anywhere from 30 to 60% of health care and the educational services in many developing countries. At a time when basic needs are becoming increasingly harder to provide for more than half the world's population, we can no longer avoid acknowledging these parallel faith-based development interventions which reach so many 
and provide so much. Many are critical venues for outreach, resources, and service delivery. So we, um, I think that's a great acknowledgement that uh, our health, our faith-based health institutions, our Christian health institutions, which have been around for for uh, many, many <laughs> centuries, in fact, uh, and we're really the first impetus of uh, missions uh, and providing medical care. Um, they are being, you know, being recognized that uh, these health, um, the UN and WHO, they can't, they can't achieve some of those big goals that they have set because they aren't, because they, they need the collaboration of our Christian health system. And so I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, what that means. An, an article uh, called uh, A Call to Health and Healing, the, the declaration of To Begin says, um, we affirm that cri- the, the Christian church continues to have a unique, relevant, and specific role to play in health, health care, healing, and wholeness in changing contexts and in all the regions of the world. We want to see churches, Christian organizations, and networks working together with civil society, um, including people affected by disability or disease, to mobilize governments international agencies, and the corporate world for more justice in health and access to medicines and quality health care. Christian health care that reflects Christ's love at all levels for all people in all parts of the world. As I read those two statements, one from um, the UN Population Fund and this one, who came, which came out of um, uh, a consortium of health individuals that came together uh, from around the world and put together this statement on, on health. Um, I think you can see what is what moves you more. Yet we're being, you know, the health uh, systems, Christian health systems are being recognized, but we are motivated by serving. We are motivated by showing love, by Christ's love, and that's what really pushes us forward. And that's the, that's the, the gas in our tank, I should say. However, we need to be uh, cognizant of what that means when we're engaging the, the larger population. Um, I think a lot of times um, our hospitals and clinics get very focused on our mission, um, you know, to share Christ, and we forget that we have a larger audience. We have a larger mission to influence the government, to influence their policies, and how to have more, um, to reach those who are not reached, to advocate for the vulnerable. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to share this um, this uh, a call to health and healing to really that's our focus that's our mandate that's where we're going with um, thinking about working with the government in healthcare. Um, WHO reports that faith-based organizations own and operate an estimated 30 to 70 percent of health facilities in some African countries. In some places, Christian hospital system is the only. Uh, only system operating there. Otherwise, people would have no care. Yet, faith-based organizations remain under-recognized for their immense contributions to the health sector. And the sustainable development goals, if we look again at what motivates us and how Christ looks at the individual person and how we and wants that person to have um, a full life, the Sustainable development goals um, are addressing large and growing health disparities, which have remained major barriers for realization of human capabilities and in the ability of people to live a life with dignity. And we want people to fulfill their God-given purpose, but part of that is dignity, which God has instilled in every person because they are created in his image. So that while we look at the sustainable development goals, we see statements that are very similar to some of our biblical foundations. Where did that come from? You know, that's God's truth. And that is where restoring dignity. So I'm trying to kind of pull together the, the common things that we have that are identified here, that there is really some things that are more in common that bring us together than divide us when we look at uh, collaborating with the government, with the UN, with WHO, um, and some organizations like that. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
the spirit, and then he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And um, when we think about uh, where we go and what we what we're going to be doing, you know, this is where we are entering into that very mission that Christ had to reach the poor, to bring them full life, to share Christ, who is the source of life, eternal life. Um, I'd like to take us now on a little bit of a historical journey and talk a little bit about uh, this whole concept of medical missions. And um, some of you here may have this, uh, maybe you've even studied it, uh, maybe in, in, if you've gone to Bible college, or you may have this in your background, or you've heard about the, a lot of these things. But I think it is remarkable that when we look back, the church has always been engaged in health. And bringing health and bringing education has been one of the forefronts of the church because we are motivated by Christ to serve. We are motivated to um, bring life to others. So when we look at that, we see that over two millennia, Christian doctors and nurses, inspired by the example and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, have been at the forefront of efforts to alleviate human suffering, cure disease, and advance knowledge and understanding. The first hospitals in the New World were founded by Christian pioneers. Early medical missionaries brought the gospel at the point of a lancet. The church was a significant contributor and advocate for primary health care. Health for All, adopted by WHO at the Alma Ata in 1978, the church was The church came forward, um, the World Council of Churches came forward at that time when they were developing, the WHO was developing uh, their uh, framework for health and advocated it has to be health for all and it's not just about treating disease. It is about the whole person. And can you believe that that, this has been an underlying all of the major health, global health initiatives for primary health care? Since that time. So, this is really, really significant the influence when you look back that the church has had. Um, we think about some of these early missionaries. The first medical missionary to China was an American, Peter Parker, who arrived in Guangzhou in 1835. It was said that Parker opened China to the gospel at the point of the Lancet. Um, and I was just in Guangzhou. Uh, I was traveling and was in, went to Nepal and, and landed in Guangzhou. And I thought about, you know, years and years ago that uh, Peter Parker was there. And again, opening up uh, missions, you know, uh, at that point in China. Uh, we think about in Africa, Dr. Albert Schweitzer uh, at Lamering in Gabon. He planned to spread the gospel by example of his Christian labor of healing rather than through the verbal process of preaching. And so this is, these are, this is really inspiring as um, you're here thinking about medical missions. This history is here. We are standing on the shoulders of amazing uh, missionaries who really uh, took the gospel forward, but were also healing at the same time. In India, Dr. John Scudder, first American medical missionary in India in 1819, beginning more than 1,100 combined years of missionary service there by 42 members of four generations of the family. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just think, you're stepping into missions, you know. You may, there may be a, a whole legacy there. Um, it's just amazing what God has done because of the faithfulness of individuals. In India... Dr. Clara Swain, she was the first qualified woman missionary physician to be sent overseas for overseas work uh, in North America. She, um, Swain was assigned to India and arrived in 1870. Can you imagine in those days a woman and going out to serve in medical missions and a doctor? Um, Christians have consistently raised the social status of the weak, sick, and handicapped and sought to love and care for them to the utmost of their abilities. Christians have been pioneers among hospital building and staffing in research 
and ethics in promoting increased standards of care and in immunology, public health, and preventive medicine. They have carried Western medicine across the globe and improved the quality of life for countless millions of people. When we think about that, I mean, to me, it's just so inspiring. And to have a conference like the Global Missions Health Conference, um, you know, um, and still going on, still such a force, and, and I just am so... Um, I don't know, inspired by that. And I think about um, that the, what influence um, medical missions can have, and it is huge. Uh, with Medi- Medical Teams International, uh, we have been partnering with many different Christian hospitals, and we like to come alongside Christian hospitals through our work of uh, health training, and vol- we send medical volunteers, and we also distribute uh, medical supplies. Um, to support and to, uh, again, come alongside and help Christian hospitals. So it's been my privilege to work with a lot of different Christian hospitals over the years that I've been with uh, Medical Teams International. Um, And I just wanted to show you just a few pictures. I know that I'm mostly representing Africa because that's my background. Uh, My heart is really there, but... um, I, there are, you know, wonderful medical missions in Pakistan and in India and many other places uh, around the globe. And so um, this, I'm not trying to exclude them. It just happens to be, you know, uh, my background. So uh, in Cameroon and Bonzo Baptist Hospital and Bingo Baptist Hospital, uh, Soto Christian Hospital in Ethiopia, just really um, an inspiring place where they're training um, physicians there, as well as providing care. Um, the Munsung Christian Medical Center, also in Ethiopia. Uh, Hope Clinic in Guinea. Uh, what a wonderful time we had, um, you know, working alongside Hope Clinic, especially um, during the um, Ebola outbreak. We were able to send some of our staff. We have an office in Liberia, and we were able to send um, some of our staff over to train and encourage the workers in uh, Guinea because they were without resources. They are located down in a very neglected part of Guinea, and so they weren't receiving any resources, any training, so we could come alongside of them and encourage them. And that hospital uh, had survived, which you can imagine one of the founders of the hospital was killed uh, during Ebola because... um, of, you know, the, the prejudice and the fear that people had. And yet today, I just, what, last week was hearing more about the clinic, and it is, it is thriving now. It is coming back, um, you know, a testimony to, to God's faithfulness. But the reason that they had such an influence is because they were in the community, they were welcoming, and they were not afraid. They were there staying with people and coming alongside people in during the um, Ebola outbreak. Uh, Bangalore Evangelical Hospital in Gabon, Phoebe Hospital in Liberia, um, and uh, ELWA Hospital also in Liberia. These are various um, hospitals that we have worked with, sent volunteers to, sent supplies to. Um, the Kuchiala Hospital for Women and Children in Mali. Um, this is um, a, we had the opportunity to help support uh, building of the pediatric ward there. And uh, that hospital is in a really uh, very f- uh, fortunate place for witness of uh, Christ, and there's, uh, tr- they have clinics uh, out in the communities, and so it's really a, um, an amazing uh, place uh, to be serving. Uh, the SIM Galmi Hospital in Niger. Uh, again, you, when you think about these and you think about hot spots in the world, Mali and Niger, those kind of hot spots for, you know, insecurity these days, and yet... This hospital is here, but the, it means the word of God is there. It's firmly established, and people are being cared for during this time. Uh, Matru, um, a UBC hospital in Sierra Leone, and had an opportunity to um, get, be familiar with their, their work. Um, out again, these hospitals are in often remote locations. A Good Samaritan Clinic in Anzara, South Sudan, it's an Episcopal clinic started there by the National South Sudan Episcopal Church, and really um, we're having a terrible problem with um, maternal death, maternal mortality. So we came alongside them to do a promotion program for um, 
out in the communities to bring education and to encourage women to come to the clinic for safe delivery, uh, which was really, really important in saving lives. Uh, the Life in Abundance Clinic in Roombeck, South Sudan, again, uh, located in places where people are um, either in, ha- coming out of conflict, like in South Sudan, who was coming out of it. Now they are back into it, a very, very challenging environment in South Sudan. Very unfortunate because the people are, are the victims of the political uh, kind of tug-of-war going on there. Um, and yet Christ's name is being proclaimed. His love is being shown through these Christian hospitals and clinics. Uh, Hope Hospital in Kabuye, Burundi and Chitamoyo Christian Hospital in Zimbabwe. So these are just some of the places that um, our organization has been involved, but I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of other places. Uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church, or CEUM, uh, hospitals and clinics in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, our opportunity to work uh, with the CEUM, they have, um, I think it's like six major hospitals, but over 90 clinics. And they are the health system in that northwestern corner of Congo and have been for year, you know, many, many uh, years. And so to come alongside and to work there. Um, and after the war, I was able to um, go in with some of the uh, Evangelical Covenant Church missionaries that were returning after they fled uh, you know, at the close of the war in 1999, um, we went back in in 2003, and to see the devastation of those hospitals left with, there were broken windows, no water system, I mean, nothing. They were left with nothing, and now they have come back. And, you know, they are transitioning, trying to support the national church and leading and um, that medical system. So it's really... It's just impressive, um, and you know you can't do it there without the church here and without all of us um, supporting and being involved and caring uh, and being behind them. So, really, uh, was a privilege to again work with the CEUM. So, when we think about collaborating with the government, um, there are benefits and there are risks of partnering and collaborating, um, and. Often, in, through uh, visiting all of these various partners that we've had, various uh, Christian hospitals that we've worked with, I have encountered various attitudes um, and various perspectives on that. Um, understanding that each context is different and the challenges um, are unique and yet somewhat the same. Um, and I think that um, my challenge today for, is for us to think about how can we be... Um, how can Christian hospitals be more integrated into those national health systems and working with other uh, health partners in that context to have a greater impact uh, on the population there, on, on the health for people and health for all, uh, bringing more <coughs> equity of access to health? Um, so what, what are some of the benefits of collaboration uh, with the government? And these are just some that I've pulled out, and there are many others, but just something for us to think about. Um, witness and mission of the church foremost. We are called to go out. We are called to take the gospel forward. And so if we in our Christian health system in a particular country focus just on our, say, local churches or that small community where we're established, but do not interact with um, the government, we miss out on that opportunity for greater witness um, to bring into that health system and with those, uh, with the Ministry of Health and with maybe even the district office, if, uh, health office, if you bring it closer, to have an influence on how they operate and how they ca- carry out their duties. Um, we bring a biblical values of compassion and caring, so we can share that. Um, one of the things that um, my organization has been active in is working in uh, with government clinics, but uh, going uh, training health workers in these government clinics how to have compassion and how to care for patients, because that is not something that comes through in their training, and often there are cultural ethnic divides. And so people are not receiving the best care. They're not being treated well. And so we translate our values of Christ's love by training those government health workers how to care for patients and how to be compassionate 
it, it kind of boggles the mind that people don't know that. But it's just not, there's, it's just not part of their training. And they, um, you know, people receive very bad care, and then they're not going to come back to the health, the clinic for care, and then they're going to suffer. You know, children will die, mothers will die, because they're not accessing health care. Um, they just want to stay in their communities because they don't like the way they're treated. So that's another way um, of what our Christian hospitals and clinics can do. I think that we also are participating in health system strengthening. As you know, many countries and many governments have very weak health systems. One of their major challenges is human resources, as well as uh, good leadership. Um, They also struggle with um, supplies, medicines. Um, They have maybe a supply chain that's uh, not functioning well. Um, So when we think about that, the, the being connected with our Christian hospitals and clinics, being connected with that government system is really important because we can help strengthen that system for the whole country. Um, and so it's important to be related, uh, in relationship there. Um, Christian, as I talked about Christian hospitals, um, you know, we, the, they're, in, they're at the grassroots they're in those places where nobody else is going to go, where, the, you know, if government-trained uh, physicians and nurses, they often don't want to leave the city. But our Christian hospitals are out in those remote areas reaching people who often are sometimes stigmatized, sometimes ignored. And, um, and so that's really an, another um, thing that we can do. Um, we also can call for financial transparency. As you know, that's a challenge for many governments. Um, and so we can be a voice for financial transparency. And we can provide an example of that in our Christian clinics and Christian hospitals. Uh, and, the, and as we all know, those, that, those are all challenging things, but we want to have that kind, show, show that kind of integrity and um, in honesty. Um, also, bringing about accountability and stewardship. Um, because we, if we get involved and monitor what we're doing and also have the, the data to back that up, then we can show that contribution to health care in the government and health care in that nation. Um, and I think that's really, really important because uh, there has been and continues to be an absence of the repu- uh, re- and repu- representation of the tremendous contribution that Christian hospitals and clinics, Christian health systems are bringing to the government and bringing actually globally. And so it's really important that we uh, have good statistics and that we monitor and evaluate and are able to present the work well um, to those governments um, because we are uh, significantly contributing. Health facilities, sometimes governments will share subsidies with Christian hospitals, and I've seen that there's kind of a, well, we'll give a Christian hospital so much money to um, support um, your work, or they'll give a certain amount of health workers who who will be appointed and work in those Christian hospitals and clinics. At that point, again, there's a bridge. There's already an opportunity to to deepen that relationship. Um, again, I talked about reporting and publishing health achievements, and we can do that when uh, we're collaborating with the government and being, making uh, those uh, accomplishments known. Advocacy, um, a voice for the poor and the marginalized, and often they're not going to be represented unless we're there to do that. So meeting in those district, coming together at those district health meetings and representing what um, the hospital is doing, but also saying, wait a minute, we need, we need access, we need quality, we need compassionate care, and especially maybe for a certain uh, population of people, you know, to really hold out that children and women are the most vulnerable, and so those services have to be well established and um, to advocate for them. Um, also, uh, by working with a government, Christian hospitals can receive sometimes um, you know, funding like Global Fund for HIV and AIDS, TB and malaria, USAID, and family planning. And often we, um, we don't always think about that, but there are resources available. And as you know, running a Christian hospital or clinic is costly um, it's, um, to, to, to sustain that. So how can we 
access those those um, available uh, funds and resources for what we do. Um, for an example of this would be um, the Christian Health Association in Zambia, who represents, um, I think, I don't know, uh, 80 or, uh, no, maybe it's a, over 100 um, Christian uh, clinics and hospitals in Zambia, but they were able to receive global fund uh, resources uh, and they were kind of the umbrella organization, the Christian Health Association of Zambia, the umbrella organization. They were able then to distribute for HIV and AIDS, um, to distribute those funds then to faith-based hospitals for um, you know, addressing HIV and AIDS. When you think of that, that's really um, an amazing um, resource to come our way. Yeah, I see there's a question. Yeah, so I'm just, I mean, I'm, I know I'm Americanized, but um, so I, like the clinics here, we try to stay away from the government because the more we receive money from the government, the more policies they try to, to put on us, even though actually in in a couple of areas in, in the Northwest, they're actually asking Christian organizations to come back into the community and, and start working with us again and so forth. So we're, we're wanting to do that, but we're also cautious because it's like, okay, well, we, we want to do that, but then what are, you, what are you saying that we have to do or, you know, what are the strings attached, essentially? So how do you how do you balance that type of stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're obviously working in their country in this case, um, so how do you how do you maneuver all that type of stuff as well? I mean that's the caveat, right? And you're receiving stuff from another government. Yeah, I think that's that's very good. You've brought up one of the biggest tension points, that if we access resources or we're working with the government, there's going to be strings attached. And it may, may impinge on us. It may um, cause uh, some what we uh, think will be some compromises in what is really our mandate to be there and to serve. And I think that is one of the tensions. And, and we can get into that, into that under risk. But I, I agree with you. Um, however, to be isolationist is also, you know, the other end of the spectrum. And so part of what I'm challenging, I don't have all the answers for this, but I'm challenging us to think more about how we can have a greater influence for Christ and impact on people's lives when we think about ways to collaborate. Um, and now that you bring up, um, you know, uh, the, I think, where are you from in the Northwest? Okay, Vancouver. Yeah, you um, were at Medical Teams International. We have now been invited by, um, uh, like, Providence Health um, to, to work alongside of them through our mobile dental program. And our mobile dental program reaches out to populations in the Northwest that have no dental care and are really marginalized communities. So that's our work here in the U.S. And we're being invited in to be a partner with them. So it, it comes back to how I introduced it in the beginning, um, you know, where the U.N. is saying, but we need you. And there is a recognition of that. So on our side, we need to say, but we can have greater impact for the kingdom. We need you, too, because we, we have come to serve all people. But the challenge of looking at what does that mean and how does that, um, we have to weigh that and look at that. Um, but what is the greater opportunity versus those, those risks? And I, um, I think that it takes a lot of wisdom to do that, but not to completely close the door, but look for ways to work together. So that's a good, good point. Yes? I, I think, too, in missions, it's, it's very dynamic. It keeps changing. Mm-hmm. The missionaries come, missionaries go. You're low-staffed. You've got to go to group. You don't have enough money. Money's come in. You can work with the government. Now they're difficult. It just keeps changing, and you just have to keep changing with it. Yeah. Uh huh. Step in when there's opportunities, and and be willing to step out when when you're compromised too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really really good point. That it's everything is dynamic out there. It's yeah, dynamic it's for it's us. Fun. It's dynamic for those governments. And their staff changes. The people we relate with in the government change. You know, our staff changes. And so we have this constant dynamic environment in which we're working. It's challenging. It's voted in, 
Yeah, and I like that. Be flexible and look for the opportunities rather than say no. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, and to, to come humbly, as you said, and to ask rather than demand or to reject. And I think that's really important. It's that relationship. When it all comes back to it, back to the beginning, it's about relationship. And really, relationship is, is pretty much how the, what the gospel is all about. I mean, we want to bring people into relationship with Christ, but in order to do that, we need relationships with others, and we need to, to seek to have that. And sometimes that relationship, as you've said, has to be cultivated over time. Uh, and then you have the opportunity. Finally, you may have that open door. So we need to think about those. those are, these are all really good points that you're bringing up. Um, well, just an, uh, going back, maybe some other, um, you know, providing training, nursing, and medical schools for the country, influencing healthcare workforce, promoting best practice, and global health. These are wonderful opportunities that we have. Um, Faith-based organizations deliver a substantial volume of health care, and their common visions of stewardship, inclusiveness, dignity, and justice make many such organizations ideally suited to be key partners for delivering the post-2015 Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs. Uh, an example, look at Emmanuel Hospital Association in India, 21 hospitals, 27 community health projects, having a great influence. Central India Christian Mission treats 72,000 people a year. African Christian Health Associations throughout Africa uh, working together, bringing and representing those Christian uh, health institutions in their their countries to provide health care and to advocate. Faith-based organizations train a significant number of health workers, increasing the local health workforce. Uh, thinking about the uh, in Arusha, the Lutheran Medical Center and the training program that they have going on there. Uh, you know, what you've probably heard and will hear a lot about at this Global Missions Health Conference is the Pan-Africa Academy of Christian Surgeons. Um, and I think my statistics may be out of date. I didn't get them updated. But, again, 42 graduates serving fellow Africans, 37 general surgery graduates, 6 pediatric surgeons, in faith-based hospitals in 17 countries. I think my statistics are behind right now because that program is so amazing. But they're, again, being credentialed through the, um, you know, the, the, the uh, government or through the health system, the established protocol certification pro- processes in West Africa and uh, throughout. So, those are, those, that shows a collaboration, and yet that mission has not changed. Training phys- Christian physicians to serve fellow Africans. So I think it can be done, but I think that, you know, that is, there are those challenges, but this is a remarkable uh, program. Think of the Valor uh, Christian Medical College. Faith-based organizations in remote parts of the world. So we look at the Christian, the organizational members of the African uh, Christian Health Association platform. I mean, it's tremendous where they're located and what they're doing. They struggle, though. The Christian Health Associations are struggling. And that means we need to think about how do we come alongside of them to shore them up in their administration, uh, in their management, um, and also in some of those best practices but also in, as they relate to the government because they're recognized as part of that health system in, in each country. Another example of Christian hospitals and, uh, and Christians having an amazing impact on health. Uh, in the Dem- Democratic Republic of Con- uh, Congo, Sanru, and Sanru 1 and Sanru 2 uh, were bilateral projects funded by USAID and managed by the even evangelical um, community there on behalf of uh, the Ministry of Health to assist 100 of Congo's 306 health zones. A typical health zone includes a population of 150,200 villages and 20 health centers. 
So, it was the church that it was delivering health care. This was USAID funds. You know what? That's our funds. <laughs> if you're an American, we contributed. And so, here are our we're, uh, Christian hospitals and Christian institutions uh, accessing that funding to do a whole health system in Congo. It's it has been tremendous. And then there was Sanru 3, where the project we used an integrated development approach to strengthen the capacity of 60 non-government uh, organization-managed health zones for, a priority, for priority health care interventions to a population of almost 10 million. So you can see that amazing influence, influence that we can have. And then uh, that transitioned into Project Access, which in, was with IMA World Health, another Christian organization here in the, in the U.S. based here, but having a tremendous impact in strengthening health systems. So I just want us to you know, kind of think of that vision of the impact, a whole health system, and yet that was done by the church. Um, and involved uh, the church. Uh, when we think about um, primary health care, uh, the modern enterprises of community health and international development were not only founded on the precepts of missionary medicine, they continue to be shaped by the work of missionaries. Much of the evidence regarding community-based primary health care strategies comes from Christian projects. The Alma-Ata Declaration, a WHO document that lays out the foundational principles of evidence-based primary health care systems, was based strongly on the work of Christian missionaries who helped to convene multiple conferences in the 60s and 70s on international health. As Carl Taylor, who helped write the declaration, stated, coming out of the conference, the entire global health community developed and developing was energized to ramp up health care around the world. The tenets of serving the poor, service to the community as a whole, disease prevention, and the pivotal role of women in health developed following Christian medical conferences and, and was refined by Christian Medical Commission and were firmly built into the evolving framework of primary health care. Again, a tremendous influence that we have been able to have, the church has been able to have uh, around the world and for global health. Um, IMA, what are some of the advantages they have pointed out of working with faith-centered health service delivery networks for community health? Um, effective peace and, re and reconciliation efforts are often faith-based and faith-centered. Members of faith-based inter-indigenous networks provide 30 to 60% of health care in developing nations, often the most important partner with the Ministry of Health and Health Care Service Delivery. In some countries, faith-centered organizations are known as the founders of community health programs. Faith-based um, training institutions, likewise, are responsible for training a majority of health workers. So again, a great influence through that educational program there. Um, much closer to the local communities and local authority structures, and they act as a voice for the poor, because that's where we go to serve. And in DRC, Haiti, South Sudan, IMA's uh, health work could not be done without the true partnership at the local level with the faith community. So we not only have the government, we have other um, non-government organizations, say, such as IMA or uh, for example, my organization, Medical Teams International, who are advocating for health as well to join together so we can have um, a united um, effort in doing that. Uh, thinking about the Ebola response, um, and ELWA Hospital, Samaritan's Purse was involved, SIM, Dr. Kent Brantley, and Nancy Wright Bull, and we learned and heard a lot about that during the Ebola outbreak. Um, the Christian Health Association of Liberia, World Renew. Um, and MTI is a leading agency in the country who had been there since the end of the war in 2004. We were able to have influence at the community level. We chose to do prevention rather than treatment. And our focus on prevention, we had already established, again, that railroad of relationship. Uh, with the communities and with the government because we worked alongside of the district health offices really in close collaboration. It was challenging, 
There is not, there was not a lot of capacity. It impacted us in, you know, some negative ways, and yet we were committed to that community and to those people to come alongside and to represent, um, really Christ's love in reaching out and doing our best. I mean, when we want to have quality health services, do we want to do that to meet a secular standard? No. We do that because we serve the king and because he has declared that people are worth of value and they deserve that. They deserve a full and healthy life. And so with that motivation, we were able to influence and be a part of um, the prevention aspect of Ebola. And that was a tremendous opportunity. But that was because we, we had been situated there. We had gone there. We had worked in difficult places. Um, it was said this is a situation um, where everyone needs to work together. Politicians, media, communities, faith organizations, we all have something to do, have to do something. If one fails, everybody will fail, uh, said Dr. Pierre, formerly um, an epidemiologist and coordinator of the WHO's campaign against Ebola. So let's, you know, we've looked at some of these advantages and we've talked about there are risks. There are risks of collaboration with the government. Obviously, there's a lack of accountability, and so that is really challenging. Um, there's a failure to deliver on promises, so we've all run into that. We, you know, uh, establish relationships, we develop agreements, and then the government doesn't come forward with either providing the subsidy they said, the health workers they said, the medicines they were going to share, because uh, Christian hospitals are part of that health system. So that leaves then that Christian health institution unable to deliver the services they're there to do. So those are really significant challenges. Um, they may often send poorly trained staff for um, our hospitals and clinics to work with because we invited a relationship. We want them and we want to train. We want them, but we have that kind of comes with an opportunity, but they are very, very poorly trained just because of the, the system that they have come out of. Um, there are stockouts of medicines, essential supplies, even though the government says, oh, you know, we, are, we conform to the essential supply list, essential list of medicines. You can't even get them because their system is broken. Um, there are difficult policies, as was mentioned, and sometimes those are things where we have to take a stand. And rather than, uh, you know, we may have to, to make the choice of saying, no, we won't participate, but we can be a voice who advocates to change that policy. If we don't, who will? And that policy can infect, affect lives um, and make, you know, helping people to have better quality of care. So we need to be at the table. Um, but it is challenging, and there are difficult po policies, and there are broken promises. And, um, I, you know, as we talked about, whoever happens to be in the Ministry of Health uh, they can recognize you or not, and so uh, many things are challenging there. So these are realities that we have to look at. There's criticism because we share Christ. And so we have to think about, okay, this is part of, well, what, is this going to infringe on, on our opportunity to share Christ and to pray with patients? What does that mean? So we have to weigh that out. So these, these are risks um, because what, that's our mandate. Um, that's why we're there. Um, so how can we dialogue about that? I love the, the attitude of let's be humble. Let's engage in dialogue. Let's hear from those in government, those um, even in other organizations who are doing health care, like the, uh, UNICEF provides health care for children, you know, working alongside them, or um, um, other organizations uh, in the area. So um, there are demands on our resources. I'm sure that if you've, um, you know, been in a Christian hospital in a developing country, all of a sudden the Ministry of Health, the District Health Office can drive up and say, oh, we need this, this, and this, or we need your staff to go here, or we need these medicines. And they can demand that, and you're, you're, in the, you're under um, the government. You're there as a guest in that, in that country and part of that health system, so you need to... Um, you know, comply, and sometimes that is very challenging. But we also have to think about if we're part of the system, I mean, we need to be part of the system to improve the system. And so that kind of comes along with the territory. 
we have a threatened, our threatened autonomy, very definitely, um, how we want to do things in those uh, Christian hospitals. Um, the reporting demands, sometimes those are difficult because the systems are broken and yet we have to give the data and the information. So that's a challenge. Um, administration um, is by the church. And, and by this I mean sometimes the, where the, the health system is set, set up, the Christian health system or the Christian hospital is set up, but it is run by the church and the church is not health they're not health professionals. And so that causes some compromise in uh, the delivery um, and, and some risk. What are some other risks that, that you've noticed? So we've mentioned a few of them here. Um, is there other things that you've been thinking about or questions you might have? Sure. Uh, I mean, this is true all over the world. And it can happen when you collaborate with other faith-based hospitals. And sometimes we'll dump patients on you that you're not able to, you know, Sometimes if you have a really good relationship and a really good reputation, you will get things that are like, no, 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 this is not our wheelhouse. Please don't send us patients like this. Don't promise patients that we can fix their Okay, so there are demands, like yeah. you said. Yeah, they you Right, resource demands. So so those demands of patients showing up and they're, you're not equipped right. to provide the care and yet you were part of the system that they and told those people to, but, to come. But that happens whether you're faith-based oh, or not. Because in El Salvador, uh, like if the gangs go through and stab a lot of people, and you're in the hospital, just a charity hospital that belongs to the government, you get five whether you've got one surgeon. I mean, you, you get dumped with yeah. what you're not capable of sometimes anyway. Yeah. It's, it's just because yeah. the need is there, and yeah. they'll say, "Tough, you don't have, you can't take care of them." Here they come. In, in Moldova, we had a very simple clinic, and the police captain brought his father, who was totally paralyzed by, to be cured. He'd been paralyzed for years. So there are those, yeah, being presented with a case that you know you're not going to be able to heal or you don't have the resources, but you have to do your best at the moment uh, and make decisions at that moment to care and to extend. And I think that really um, those are challenges, but what are we called to do? We are called to be there. We are called to serve and to extend ourselves. And so we're going to run into these challenges. Yes, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, does anybody have an example of that? Okay. Head of the Ministry of Health had a they, a pharmacy. Uh, they made they made drugs, and so they just started making them with flour to make the money. And she she went to jail for a short period of time, and then got out. I mean, it's all right. It's just part of it. It's yeah, but it's also if we're. We're there, we can make a, a case for quality and to access drugs from quality drug chains and things like that. Can you talk about making but, a case? Can you talk about that communication stream a little bit? Yeah. Did you, excuse me, did you? Yes. I was in Coma, Agua, in uh, Honduras, and we gave $20,000 worth of equipment and medication. And it just disappeared. And we were dependent on the government. Mm-hmm so we have to have a voice don't we we have to be at the table and many times what my my experience has been in those cases where what do we do it's not we may not get the result then but it is constantly being at the table to speak into that from the beginning and it takes time it means going to meetings where you feel like not a lot is accomplished but you're there and you have to bring it up and you have to Demand that accountability, and you have to be part of speaking into that. Sometimes I think we just give up and we walk away and we just say, well, that's the way it is. We just we don't have anything. And yet 
you know, it's not just us speaking up. It's the people. We are, we are advocating for the people we serve, that they can have a full life. And so um, I know many of us may be, you know, hesitant to get involved, but, um, you know, that is really an important thing. And I don't have anything to speak directly to influencing drugs, but I do have an example from our organization um, with um, – Integrated Management of Childhood Illnesses, IMCI, is a very life-saving um, intervention that in Liberia we were able to sit at the table. We were in working groups, and we helped the government create their curriculum and all of their training. Um, we were part. We were relay, already in relationship with them. We met with them locally. Yes, and we worked with the district health office, and we worked with the central ministry of health. So they knew us. We, we went, we visited them. And therefore, we had an influence on the entire policy and a government. And the other thing that we have uh, instituted were, were care groups where we were working alongside of communities to, um, in, a, in a model of community health, developing care groups, and it was so effective in improving health outcomes that the government said, we want to put that in our policy. Help us learn about that. And then just recently in Liberia, we are doing um, a, something called um, PDQ, Partnership for Defined Quality, which is where you help the community to speak to the health facility to advocate for better quality of services. And the government has said, we want to learn more. Can you train us? So you have to be, again, at the table and take those opportunities that you have. Um, I'd like to get more questions, um, or we're kind of running down on time. I want to finish up here, and then um, maybe after we can have more questions, but I don't want to cheat us on time for the next session. Um, some of the risks of not collaborating, I think maybe that we will be isolationists, and un we will have an unfulfilled mission. Uh, we will be overlooked, and there will be an omission in research and policymaking because we're not there. Uh, we will have unrecognized con contributions to health. Again, we need to make ourselves known in what we are doing. Missed opportunities to advocate for the poor, excluded from resources, badly needed, uh, compromised health care, um, health impact, and lack of accountability. So what do we need to do? Uh, quickly, just a few things. Um, keys to health systems development, mapping um, the strengths, documenting and mapping the strengths of faith-based organizations. Again, you have to make yourself known in reporting and being a part of the system. Create dialogue and collaboration. Again, those relationships. Work at all levels of the health system. Uh, create strategies for co-management of health systems. Um, let me see. Yeah, um, strengthening partnerships between public sector and this was a Lancet article uh, that came out, how public and faith sectors might collaborate more effectively, increase investments. Uh, this is how the government, uh, addressing the government to increase investments in faith-based groups, uh, appreciate each other's objectives and capabilities and differences. Again, it's that dialogue. It's that relationship. Uh, build core competencies in health and faith in both secular and faith-based groups to inspire innovation and courageous leadership. Um, again, seven keys, uh, key recommendations for furthering faith-based organizations' efforts. Um, advocate for strengthened Ministry of Health and faith-based organization partnerships. I'll just pull, uh, bring that one out. That is something I hope that you will uh, champion. I want to come back again to close with this. Um, I started with the, a call to health and healing. I want to close with this. We call on churches to lift their voice with those who are poor, marginalized, and vulnerable for justice, reconciliation, and access to quality health care. We call on churches to help in the setting of standards for compassionate and competent care. We call on churches to contribute to the elimination of financial barriers to health care for those who are poor and marginalized. We call on churches to play an active part in developing and maintaining national health systems with the Ministry of Health in collaboration with all stakeholders. We call on churches to participate in the development of local answers to health challenges and share these through global networks. And I really um, appreciate this um, uh, call uh, for the church to be involved. So we look and we see that we have common ground and we want to do common good. 
So how will medical missions respond? How will the church respond? Um, I think that we have to look that we have a great history, historical history to stand on. We have our, our mission, our commission uh, of what we're supposed to do. Um, and so if we look at all of those things put together, I hope that you've had some challenge uh, in thinking about this topic. Um, there are no clear answers, but I think that it is in the ability to recognize the opportunities, recognize and acknowledge the risks, but get involved. Be part of that health system for the betterment of the people in the country where you may be working or the community where you may be working to, uh, so that they can have uh, a life that Christ has called and provided for them, uh, a full and healthy life. Um, and so that's where I want to just leave our time together today. Uh, if you have any other questions or comments, you can come and talk to me. And if you want to have a link to the, the To Begin um, uh, Call for Health and Healing, then um, just put your, your name on my pad up here, and I have some of my cards. Um, just put your name there, and I'll send uh, that link to you, because I think it is just a really foundational document for us to look at. So thank you so much.